Good evening. We need to get started because if I'm, I didn't get finished last week, and if I'm not careful, I won't get finished this week. And so we need to finish this week. I'm glad you're here. This will be the last night in this series on how to live for your spouse rather than with. We'll do a quick update, a quick recap, not of the whole series as we usually do, but I'll do a quick recap on what we covered last week so we can jump into things. Um, Last week, we started what I thought was going to be the last session until I didn't get finished. The last session of this series, and every session has had a principle. Sometimes the principle is the same for husbands and wives, and sometimes it's different. This one was the same for husbands and wives, and this principle that we started last week was this one. Keep the bedroom from being the boardroom, all right? This is really important. It's really easy to do. Sex is like anything else in marriage. It can become routine. You, you just don't think about it. You don't put that much effort and energy into it. And the bedroom can become the boardroom. So the principle is don't let that happen to you. And as I said, we only made it halfway through. Let me recap what we did. We said it's, it's important to talk about this topic. You know, I, I know it's a little uncomfortable for some. Some people are not comfortable talking about this. And, and some people will say, well, this is a church, why are you talking about this? Well, the reason we're talking about this in the midst of a marriage series is a couple of reasons. One, research tells us that there's a direct correlation between marital satisfaction and sexual satisfaction. And as one goes up, the other one goes up. As one goes down, the other one goes down. So that's a reason why we talk about it in the course of a marriage series. But the second reason is that the Bible really doesn't shy away from the topic of sex, especially sex in marriage. And we're used to hearing all the negative stuff that the Bible says don't, don't, don't about sex. But the Bible has a lot of really somewhat graphic things to say about sex. And we'll talk about some of those this evening. And then we started with this passage of scripture, not quite as graphic as some of the other scriptures we'll read, but this one, three things are too wonderful for me, four, I do not understand, the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. And this is a euphemism about sex. Virgin can mean young maid, not necessarily someone who's never had sex. And what the author is saying here is sex in marriage is a very kind of mysterious, somewhat perplexing thing. And, uh, and that's why we have to work at it. That's why it takes so much effort to figure this out, even if you've been married for a long time. Uh, so we, because we think sex is supposed to be natural, supposed to come easily. It's just supposed to work. You're not supposed to have to work at it. And that's just wrong. That's, that's not even realistic. And so we started last week by looking at some of the problems when it comes to sex and marriage. Some of the problems when it comes to sex and marriage. And we had about three different categories of problems. The first problems we looked at were the differences. The differences. We said there's difference in drive. If you've been married any amount of time whatsoever, you know that there's a difference in drives between husbands and wives. Usually, the husband's sex drive is higher than the wives. Usually, it can flip. It can be different. And like I told you last week, any time I find that the wife's sex drive is higher than the husband's, I always want the husband to go see his doctor and have his testosterone checked, have his thyroid checked. Because it's amazing how often that is the cause of that kind of flip. But there can be that natural flip in there. I showed you a graph last time to show you the difference between drives and husbands and wives. That the majority of wives think about sex weekly. 
And that's only, what, 30-some percent. The majority of husbands think about sex daily, and that's about 60%. So you can see the train wreck that happens with these two different drives. And then the next highest for wives is, what, about 15, 17, 18%, and that is daily. So 15% think about sex maybe daily, 60% of men think about that that often. And so it's just the different drives. And then we went on to talk about the differences in approaches. That husbands and wives approach sex, actually intimacy as a whole, differently. If you'll remember, I showed you this pyramid, the intimacy pyramid. Intimacy is made up not just of sex, it's made of conversational intimacy, emotional intimacy, physical, non-sexual intimacy, and sexual intimacy. And husbands and wives, really, we all want the same thing. We want the whole pyramid but we have a different approach. And it's one of the problems to sex and marriage is our approaches is different. Men like to approach this intimacy thing from the top down, and women like to approach it from the bottom up. Now, there may be a gender flip in your marriage, possibly, but in general, this is how husbands and wives approach it, which means that that's a problem in marriage. So husbands need to learn to approach it from the bottom up, and wives need to learn to approach it from the top down. So another problem in marriage is the differences in approaches. And then we went through a lot of others, the differences in anatomy and hormones. That's pretty self-explanatory, although it's mysterious. We don't always get that. Differences in family upbringing and uh, how your family dealt with sex, talked about sex, the messages they gave you about sex are going to affect how you approach sex. And it's always different between families. And it's different between daughters and sons also, usually. Then there's these societal messages, although this is changing some, there's still a difference in the way we view people uh, growing up. Boys are kind of winked at when they're sexually active, like boys will be boys, and, but girls are really talked down about if they're sexually active. So there's some differences there. Differences in experiences, this could be before marriage, this is certainly could be during marriages. Uh, and then we talked about the difference in life stages. And so those were the differences. And then we looked at another class of problems, not just the differences, but we looked at the problems with the drainers. There's differences in marriages that cause problems with sex, and then there's drainers. And here's some of them we listed. Fatigue. Fatigue is a big drainer on marriage. If you'll remember, I showed you a graph that said the biggest problem for Christian wives when it comes to feeling desire sexually was fatigue. I mean, it's a huge piece of the graph there that fatigue was the number one killer. And it's true for men, too. Uh, sex just takes energy, and fatigue will cut into that energy. And that doesn't mean you won't be tired and maybe still have sex, but it's kind of leftovers, you know, your leftover energy, so to speak. You can do that once in a while, but it's not good all the time. So fatigue is a drainer. Family is a drainer. The demands of family life, and, and those change throughout the stages of marriage. And uh, the two tough times are when you have your first child and when you have your first teenager. Those are really difficult times that, that drain a sexual life between a husband and wife when they come. But families can be a drainer. Work can be a drainer. Happens in two ways. If you're overly absorbed in your work, and so you're not home a lot, or you're doing it too much at work, or too much work at home, rather, or it can come from the times when you're just stressed about your work, worried about your work. Work can invade a sex life that way. Health. 
Sex is a physical activity, so it stands to reason how your health is will play a, a part in your sex life. And uh, if you don't believe that, when's the last time you had the flu and had your head in the commode and felt particularly sexy? Right? They're just connected. And so, but it's not only just your health. I mean, one of the things you can do that's great for your sex life is be in good health. I'm not a good advertisement for that, but you could do that. That's, that's beneficial. But it also includes medications. Now, certain medications you take can squelch a sex drive or squelch performance. I'm thinking it's particularly about blood pressure medicines or antidepressants. They can all do that, even anti-anxiety meds. So health can be a drainer. And then we launched into these erroneous, erroneous thinking, myths. Myths can drain the health out of your sex life. And we went through a lot of them. Here's some of them that we talked about. Being in love means great sex. Eh, wrong. Being in love means you're committed to one another and you want to be with one another. Sex is a learned skill. It's, it's something you learn to do better and better. And, and even if you were sexually active before marriage, unless you married the same person, you got a different person. And I often tell premarital couples, if they have been living together, I tell them, hey, just because you've been living together and having sex doesn't mean it's going to be the same way when you're married. It is different. So sex is a, is a skill that you acquire. It comes from openness and honesty and cooperation and learning and practice, thank goodness. And then men. Men are supposed to initiate sex. That's another myth. Both people should initiate sex. That doesn't mean you keep a scorecard on your refrigerator to see who's up next and who's done that more than the other one. That will get you in trouble. But do not let your spouse be the one who is always initiating sex. And here's why it's important. It's because when you don't initiate sex, whether you're husband or wife, to the other one it seems like rejection. It feels like rejection. Uh, and, and that's kind of hard to cover from. And it's especially hard for men. It especially feels re like rejection for men. Okay, another one. Spouses need to be in sync with one another. Sync mentally, emotionally, energy, sexual desire. You know, on some occasions that might happen, but those are rare occasions. Rarely are you going to be completely in sync with one another. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, so you have to continue to work at it to comfort to cultivate a sex life. Sex involves just two body parts. Get out of that narrow box. That narrow box will, it just will lead to a lot of boring stuff. There's a lot of things about sex. And we talked about this. The two greatest sex organs are the skin and the brain. So expand your horizons. Don't just get into that two body part kind of thing. Or we should only have sex when we feel like it. Now, I am not a proponent of hus uh, wives, you can never say no to your husband. Absolutely, you can say no to your husband. You don't want to do it a lot. And I'm a big proponent of if, if, this, if tonight's not a good night and you need to say no, that's fine. But give them a rain check. Otherwise, it feels like you just put them off. If my wife says, if I approach her for sex and she goes, no, no, not tonight. And that's it. I don't know whether it'll be two days from now or two months from now or maybe a year and a half from now. I don't know. I feel like I've just kind of been put off. But if she says, you know, tonight is not a good night, but let's gear up for Friday night 
or whatever, fill in the blank. Then I know I'm not being put off. So, yes, I believe you could say no. Uh, but you will not, if, if you only wait until both of you feel like having sex, it's going to get few and far between. You, this is something you've got to work at. Question. Do you eat meals sometimes even though you're not really, really hungry? If the answer is yes, this is the same kind of thing. Most, most of you go to work even though you're not really interested in going to work, but you go to work. Why? Because you know both of those things are healthy for you. They're, they're both helpful. So let me show you some passages of Scripture here that, that tell you that maybe this is not how you do it, just waiting for everybody to be in the mood, so to speak. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. Listen to this. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Equal time here. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Okay, so that doesn't mean that, you know, because it doesn't mean your wife doesn't have control over her body, so she has to do whatever you tell her to do, or vice versa. And since I don't have control over my body, just because this is what I want doesn't necessarily mean this is what I get right then and there. But here's the key to this verse. Verse, uh, let's see, where are we at? Verse 5. Thank you very much. How easily I lose track. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement, for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer. And then come together again. Now listen to this last phrase. So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. To paraphrase, this scripture is saying, do not put off sex too long. And when you do, it needs to be by mutual agreement. But not too long, and you need to come back together again, because if you don't, Satan could tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, there's two ways to interpret this verse, and both of them are correct. One is that if you're not kind of regular and consistent in sex, and I wish it would have defined that, because it cut out a lot of arguments in my house, but it didn't. But if you're not regular and consistent in sex, it could tempt one of you to act out sexually in inappropriate ways with someone else. One, one interpretation, perfectly good interpretation. Second interpretation is that not being regular and consistent sexually is in and of itself a lack of self-control. Question? Yeah, it, it elaborate. Okay. It says, let me read it again. Do not deprive one another except by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Lack of self-control could be I could get in trouble because I haven't had sex for a while and I go and act out some other way. But lack of self-control could be the fact that we're not regular and consistent in sex is in and of itself a lack of self-control. I'm just going to let you chew on that. But this is, the scripture knows how important sex is to a marriage. And that's why it says that. The apostle Paul said this. This is a guy that wasn't even married and he thought this was important, okay? So 
there's one passage that tells you what Scripture has to say. And, and, and this is all fitting under the category of the myth that you have to be feeling ready for sex before you have it. This Scripture doesn't necessarily point to that. Another passage. Uh, what, did I skip one? No, nope, that's it. I'll get, I'll get to some others anyway. again. Another myth. The act of sex should be natural for spouses. It is not natural. It is awkward at first. And you have to learn how to, excuse, excuse the pun, fit together. Right? You've got to learn how it works best for each of you. That takes some practice. That takes some communication. So it's not just natural for spouses. Next one. The spou your spouse should intuitively know what you want. Repeat after me, please. My spouse cannot read my mind. And <laughs> they can't. They can't read your mind in the living room. They can't read it in the bedroom. And, and trying to read minds is just crazy. And, and, and if you assume, you'll get in trouble. You just will. And what will happen is if you don't have good communications, you will try something. They want to tell you, no, not that. But they don't feel like doing it, so they can't figure out why you're not responding. And they're not having fun, and it's a train wreck. So you can't read one another's minds. They're just not going to intuitively know. And there's another myth. There's a right amount of frequency for sex. There is for the two of you. And it may be different for everybody else. And you, chances are, I would lay good money that you and your spouse do not agree on what that right amount of frequency is. Have not seen a couple yet who agrees on that. And so I think I told you last time, my way of fixing that is just simple math. He wants sex this much, she wants sex this much, what's the number in the middle? It's not a hard, fast rule, it's just a target. And you try to stay close to that target. And it will be more than one once and not enough that the other one wants, but it'll be enough for both of you. So, you, there is no right amount. I told you in some research that the, the average for Christian couples is every, anywhere between three times a week to once every month or two. That's the average. So there's a lot of room in there to play with, quote unquote. So that's as far as we got last week. That's the recap. Now we're going to finish out these myths and get on to some other stuff. Another myth about sex, another erroneous thinking about sex, is sex will never be as good as it was in the first years of your marriage. A lot of people believe this. One of the ten warning signs that the honeymoon is over, right? And a lot of us believe that, that we believe that's the inevitability for marriage, that sex is just going to eventually just decline and decline and decline. Well, that depends upon you. That's totally up to you. If you're both committed to communicating, to learning, to practicing, your sexual relationship can be better in your latter years than it was in the beginning. It really can. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, you know, the longer you're married, you can know each other better, the better relaxed you are, you're not trying to prove something, you understand each other more, if you work at it, if you communicate. I told you last week, I have a book on my shelf I've never read, I keep it there for encouragement's sake, and the title is Sex After 60. And I just look at that once in a while and say, yes, there's hope, yes, there's hope, okay? 
Depends upon you whether sex gets boring. Another one, it's kind of the same kind of myth. It's just a restatement, really, is sex gets boring the longer you're married. Again, totally up to you. It's just a way of restating the last myth. And uh, one more myth I think I want to share with you. Sorry, my iPad just glitched. One more, is there one more? Yeah, one more myth, and then we'll move on to something else. This last myth is that sex should always be a 10 for both spouses. That's, you can shoot for that. I, I encourage you to, actually, but don't expect that. It will not always be that. Here's a graph I want to show you, because sex can be good for wives, even if there's not some kind of, you know, if the earth doesn't move, the sky doesn't light up with fire rockets, it can still be good for wives, especially for wives, because they're attuned to the emotional closeness more than we are. And we'll get to this some more, but look at this graph. What married women like the most about sex? Look at that graph. 80% nearly say physical closeness. 70%, a little over 70% say emotional closeness. 54, 55% say time together. Do you notice that physical release comes like fourth and it's only about 45%? Now, it's, is it good if a wife never has physical release? No, it's not. It's, it's frustrating. It's aggravating for both of you. All I'm saying is that doesn't always have to happen. And guys, we need to quit pestering our wives saying, what happened? Was it okay? Did I do something wrong? Just enjoy the physical closeness. Enjoy the emotional closeness. Doesn't always have to be a 10. Just telling you. Uh, though automatically and anatomically even, if husbands are not really into it, nothing happens. But as we talked about last week, God has designed the female anatomy so that you can have sex if you're not really interested, which is a blessing and a curse, actually, sometimes. Uh, but, but the purpose of that is sometimes your wife will gift you this gift, not because she's into it, but because she's interested in you having a good time, so to speak, and she doesn't have to ride the roller coaster and come off with her hair all ablaze and everything. It's all right. Quit putting the expectations on you that much. Here's another graph. I'm going to tell you up front before I even show it to you, this graph depressed me so badly. But here it is. How often women reach orgasm? Only 25% always do. Now remember, these are Christian wives. This is a Christian marriage study. 75%, or, or excuse me, 33%, a third, reach it 75% of the time. Okay? And a little over 15%, maybe 16%, reach it half the time. If I had seen this before I got married, or shortly after there, I would have not pestered my wife with so much with What's wrong? Did I do something wrong? What happened? What, you know, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? You know, really frustrated me. But this is normal. Again, 
shoot for the moon if you want, but don't expect it all the time because that's not how we are. And the reason it is for wives is because there's so many other things tied up for a wife in, in this sexual activity. How close she feels to her spouse, how well her day went, are her kids failing at school, is there dirty dishes in the sink? There's a lot of things tied up for our wives. We get, guys, we get really tunnel vision when it comes to sex, but not our wives. And so that's why those numbers are the way they are. I often say that sex is like food. Sex is like food. Sometimes you have the elaborate meal with all four courses and desserts, and sometimes you get drive-through, right? And you need to decide which is which and when is when, and so everybody has the same expectations, but that means that it's not always going to be skyrockets and earth-shaking. Sometimes it's drive-through. doesn't mean it can't be good, but sometimes it's drive-through, all right? So... That's the erroneous thinking. Now, let's look at some erroneous theology. Some erroneous theology. Christians, we, as Christians, we hear so many messages that are don't, don't, don't messages. Stay away from this. Don't think about that. Don't, 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 don't. Uh, that we tend to forget there's a lot of great messages in Scripture about sex. And so many Christians, especially Christian wives, hear the don't, don't, don't so much before I do that once I do happens, they can't shift gears that quickly. And, and, and it's just a mind shift that has to happen. And so some of that erroneous theology sets us up for really difficult sex lives. And, and it's not what God teaches, it's what we've taught. For instance, let me remind you that Scripture speaks very highly of sex. Passage of Scripture, Proverbs 5, 15 through 9. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing waters from your own well. This is a euphemism for sex. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. It's talking about fidelity in marriage. Let your fountain be blessed voice in the wife of your youth. And now it gets interesting. A lovely deer a graceful doe. Now, I'm, I'm not sure that would really work for my wife, but you guys that are in deer season, you know when that comes around, you get this, right? Right? A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Pretty steamy for scripture, right? That's not a don't, don't, don't passage. It's in the right context. Look at this one. Genesis 26, 2 and 9. So Isaac settled in Gerar. Isaac, there was a famine in the land. Isaac takes he and his wife to Gerar where there's food. And when the men of the palace asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. For he feared to say she's my wife, thinking that lest the men of the place would kill him and take his Rebecca. Because she was attractive in appearance. Rebecca was hot. And he's saying, they're going to take her and kill me. So I'm just going to say she's my sister. All right? Verse 8, when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she's my sister? Now that tells you that Isaac and Rebekah were not just laughing. All right? That's a euphemism. They were engaged in foreplay. They were doing something that only a husband and wife would do. And it was a clue to Abimelech that this is not just a sister. 
But it does, it's not a no, no, no message. They were having fun. And we forget that Scripture has made this gift for pleasure. Not just for procreation. God could have said, stick your finger in their ear and they'll get pregnant. That's, I mean, he could have done that, right? But he didn't, thank goodness. You know? He designed this for our pleasure. And you see that in that. Listen to Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon 7 and 8 are racy. And I'm just going to read to you some of chapter 7. How beautiful are your feet in sandals. This is the husband talking to the wife. Oh, noble daughter. Rounded thighs are like jewels. Again, some of this is lost on us. Made a lot of sense this. The work of a master hand. Your navel is a round bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. That would get me in trouble if I used that line. <laughs> it just would, but it worked evidently here. Your two breasts are like fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbron by the gate of Bath Ribbon me on that one too. Your, this was another one that would get me in trouble. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. I mean, this guy's taking everything in. I don't get his metaphors, but he's taking everything in. Your head crowns you like Carmel. Your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, oh loved one, with all your delights. Hear this? This is not a no, no, no passage. With all your delights, your stature is like a palm tree. Your breasts are like its clusters. I will say, it really gets racy here. I will say, I say I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruits. Oh, may your breast be like clusters of a vine. The scent of your breath like apples. Your mouth like red wine. And then she jumps in. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. And my beloved and his desire is for me. That's just verse. That's just chapter 7. And just part of chapter 7. It goes on. The wife goes into this detail too. Scripture has a lot to say about sex because in its proper context, it's great. It's wonderful. It should be exciting. One of the most heartbreaking things I ever experienced in ministry was uh, I was uh, a youth pastor in Texas. And so I told my youth, we're going to get together in a home on a Friday night, and we're going to talk about sex. Of course, they were geared up. They were hooping, hollering, yeah. And I said, but here's the deal. The only way you can come is you have to bring your parents. Oh, talk about throwing a damper on things. So these students and their parents got in this great big old living room, had a fireplace. It was really lovely. And uh, so you know me. I tend to ask questions. So the first thing I asked was, Students, what have you learned about sex from your parents? Everybody in the room was unnerved, right? There is this awkward silence. People won't make eye contact. They're shifting. You know, some of the parents are giving dirty looks to their students. You know. And finally, one kid said, well, here's what I've learned. And you can see the parent drawing up. He said, I've learned that when you walk by their bedroom and the radio's on really loud, you should not go in there. That kid just broke the ice, and then after that, it was, it was fine. And I had one wife said, well, here's what I learned about sex from my parents. And she had these big crocodile tears coming down her cheeks. 
She said, my mom taught me that sex was just my duty. I wasn't going to like it, but I just had to tolerate it and do it. And she said, I've spent most of my life trying to unlearn that. That's what we're talking about in this erroneous theology piece here. That scripture says a lot about this stuff. Um, Let me give you one more passage of scripture. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now, if you read in context the passages ahead and behind, it's basically talking about not bringing anything from the outside, any other sexual experiences, not having a, a, a concubine on the side, not going to prostitute. Don't bring any of that into the marriage, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. But in the in the inference here is that when it is within the context of marriage, there is freedom. As long as the two of you agree, there's freedom in the marriage bed. So I just want, I, I just want to share these with you because never forget that sex is God's idea. He designed it. In fact, his first commandment, like I told you last week, was to have sex. I told Adam and Eve, to go and be fruitful and fill the earth. That's a command to have sex. This is God's idea. So be careful that you don't confuse the restrictions on sex outside of marriage with the freedoms of sex inside of marriage. So, another drainer is the erroneous theology. Here's another drainer. Body images. How you think and feel about your body is a problem. Especially for wives. Here's how it looks like usually. This is how it usually looks like. Yes. Uh, you know, husbands, we tend to be very forgiving, even a little self-deceptive on the way we look, right? But wives are bombarded every day with these media images of thin and, and uh, images that few can attain. And they assume that that's the standard. And, and not even models like the way they look. And so body image will kill you when it comes to freedom in sex. And you just got to get over that. Because I'm just telling you, I don't care how good you look. Eventually, as you age, gravity wins. It just does. And, and I will tell you what I tell so many people. Sexy is a whole lot more about mindset and attitude than it is body shape. It absolutely is. And uh, I could give you more on that, but it might get R-rated, and I probably shouldn't go there. Um, okay, I think this is the last one under drainers. Poor communication. Poor communication. We've alluded to this before. Both you and your spouse are entirely different. You're anatomically, hormonally, experientially different. So you can't read each other's minds. You have to communicate. You have to talk about sex and talk before sex. You need to talk before sex about what you like and what you want. You need to talk during sex about what you like and what you want. You need to talk about after sex, what you liked and what you'd like to try differently. I'm not talking about holding numbers by the bed and when sex is over, you hold up 10, 5, you know. That's not what I'm getting at. Uh, but if you don't communicate this way before, during, after, you don't improve on your sex life. And if you're too embarrassed to talk about these things, if you're too embarrassed to talk about sex openly, if 
if you think it takes the mystery or the spontaneity out of sex, here's my message to do. Get over it. Just get over it. This is one of the easiest ways to make your sex life better is to just talk about it. Uh, sometimes if couples are having trouble talking about it, I will send them to Barnes & Noble to find a book on sex. Now, here's the thing about Barnes & Noble. Unless you're in the religious section, most of the books on sex in Barnes & Noble or anywhere else are just about mechanics, right? They're about positions and all kinds of stuff. So if you don't have the relationship right, then that doesn't help. But if you've got the relationship right, remember when you were a kid, some of us that are my age remember this, and the Christmas catalog would come in, and you would spend hours in front of the Christmas catalog flipping pages and circling things that you wanted? See what I'm getting at? If you have trouble talking about it, start that way. See this? Yeah, I'd like this right here. And, uh, and it will at least get some things going one way or the other, you know. We'll talk some more about that in a minute, all right? So we've talked about the problems. <laughs> we've talked about, my wife is so glad she's not here. <laughs> we've talked about the problems that happen in marriages. And they come from differences. They come from these drainers we just talked about. There's one more D word that causes problems in marriage. And this is devastation. I want to talk just a few minutes, not long, but just a few minutes about sexual abuse. If you have sexual abuse in your history, this, will, this is just devastating to a sex life in marriage. Maybe not in the beginning. Oftentimes in the beginning, it's not. It's later on in the marriage. It's three years, four years, five years, six years into the marriage when it starts cropping up. And it can be true that both wives or husbands can be victims of sexual abuse. Stats say women are higher. I'm pretty sure the stats on men is underreported. But look at this stat for women. Somewhere between 25 and 30, depending upon which stat you look at, of women have experienced some level of sexual abuse. Between a quarter and a third. I mean, go through the room, count. Every four, every three or four. And so... It will wreak havoc, on, havoc excuse me, on your marriage. And like I said, it might not show up immediately. Sometimes it doesn't show up until you have kids at the age. Your kids get to be the age you were when you were sexually abused, and then it all comes unglued. Look at some of the ways that past sexual abuse can cause problems in the sexual relationship. There can be an aversion or an avoidance of sex. And if you're not free to talk about your past abuse, then your spouse is scratching their head going, what's going on? And they're taking it personally can flip to the other end of the continuum and can, there can be promiscuity. can be difficulty with trust and openness. Almost always sexual abuse causes problems in the trust area. Fear, anxiety. Uh, they can check out, just not be present during sex because that's what they had to do when they were abused. And so when something gets kind of close to that in marriage, they just check out. They're there, they're in the act, but, but mentally and emotionally they're not. Triggers. You might do something, touch a certain body part, say a certain thing, maybe wear a certain aftershave that will trigger a response for someone who's been sexually abused. Uh, the inability to relax, to let go. This is what sex is all about, is letting go. This is what orgasm is all about, is totally letting go. And sexual abuse, just like a lot of other things, can keep you from letting go. And so makes sex a problem. Wishing for a quick completion to sex. Doing whatever it takes to get it over with as quickly as possible so that they can move on. Uh, which is a, 
a survival skill that they had to use when they were being abused. Uh, always taking the dominant position so that at least they can be in control of it rather than somebody else being in control of them. Pain during sex that's not attributed to a physical condition. These and there's a lot of others, but just be mindful of these because if you have sexual abuse in your history or your spouse does, some of these may be coming into play and that will interfere, all right? Okay, so I'm watching the clock because i got to finish. So we've covered the problems in sex. We looked at the differences. We looked at the drainers. We looked at the devastation. Now, let's turn the corner and let's look at some principles for sex. Let's look at the principles for sex. Every marriage is different, all right? Every couple's different, and so every couple approaches sex and enjoys sex differently. Uh, and that can and will change as you get older and as you go through the stages of marriage. But there are some very broad and general principles that can really benefit every marriage when it comes to the sexual relationship. The principles are different for husbands and wives. And if, again, if you have a gender flip in your marriage, then you just got to flip the principles, all right? But here we go. Here are some principles for before sex, okay? Before sex. Husbands, you go first. Before sex. Diligently practice what you learned in the first five sessions. Those first five sessions were not just to get you here, and yet they are. They are on-ramp. Some of the best sex you will ever have will happen when you're diligently practicing what we talked about in sessions one through five. Uh, more than anything else, think of them as the, the great on-ramp to sex. Practice those, guys. Guys, educate yourself. Don't assume you know. Don't be arrogant like you don't have to be told. Learn what she loves. Learn what makes her feel secure. Learn what excites her. Learn what relaxes her. Learn about her. Can I get an amen, wives? Oh, that was so weak. I'm up here rooting for you, all right? So educate yourself, guys. Another thing, read some good Christian books on sex. You know, there was a time when there were no Christian books on sex other than stay away from it, right? But in this day and age, we've never been blessed with so many good, sound Christian books on sex. Wonderful. I'm going to show you a screen, so I'm going to encourage you just to just take out your phone, take a screenshot, and this is by far not, the, this is just a small sampling, but a lot of these I've used before. Look at these titles on sex, Dr. Kevin Lehman uh, has written great books on sex, and he's funny. He's funny to read, too. So Under the Sheets is one of his. Sex Begins in the Kitchen is one of his. The Naked Marriage, David and Ashley Willis. I don't know if you know them, but they're, they're really good on one of the big marriage uh, ministries. What is that? Some of you may know that. The, say it again. XO Marriage, yeah. And they work with another... Um, a group, a national group. They're, they're wonderful. And I don't know if you know this, but they are here in Augusta. They go to, uh, I believe, Stevens Creek. They're excellent. They're stuffed. Go to YouTube. Type in Dave and Ashley Willis and some of their short YouTube videos on sex and marriage. They're great, great material. Uh, so look at some of those. Uh, Intended for Pleasure is an old, old text, but it's still really, really good. The research I've been showing you is from this book, Secrets of Eve, by Archibald Hart. He's got a complimentary version on the sexual man. So these are just a bit of the, the titles. So get out there and read. Don't assume that, hey, don't be one of those guys that says, I don't need anyone to teach me about sex. You do, actually. You do. 
So get some, do some of the reading. Another thing before sex, husbands, diligently and consistently give non-sexual attention and affection to your wife. Listen to the words. Diligently, consistently give non-sexual attention and affection to your wife. I know this is difficult, guys. I know it is, but it's really important. Remember the pyramid. Work from the bottom up. So husbands, the overarching principle for you is you're to provide safety and security in all of the areas of life so that your wife can relax and give you her best in this area of life. This is the overarching principle. Okay, now before sex, for, whoops, improve your communication. Don't want to leave that one out. Improve your communication. You need to do that. We've talked a lot about that. All right, wives, before sex, again, the first two are the same. Diligently practice sessions one through five. Do that and educate yourself in the same way. Find out what works for him, why that's important, uh, what he likes, what makes him feel secure, what makes him feel wanted. Find those things out. Educate yourself. And now your plan diverges a little bit. Plan. Wives, you need to plan. Now, I know there may be some wives out there that are just kind of spontaneous. And that's wonderful. If you are, awesome. But when it comes to sex, the majority of wives really need to know ahead of time so that they can prepare. If they're caught off guard, a lot of wives can't shift gears that quickly. So planning includes some anticipation. Wives, and anticipation. The time of anticipation actually will improve your experience. And that's why, guys, if you're feeling like tonight is the night for sex, you should call them in the morning and say, hey, a bird flew past my window, and that reminded me, you know. <laughs> and uh, because one of two things will happen. She'll either say, you know, the kids just threw up on me, and it's not happening tonight. So you don't get your expectations up there too high. Or she goes, yeah, I think we can do that. And then she can be gearing up for you. So, part of planning, anticipation. Make the time and arrangements. I think we talked about this last week. If, if tonight is the night for sex, it's not a night to cook a big meal. It's not a night to do dirty dishes. It's not a night to bathe kids. Paper plates, plastic cups, dirty kids go to bed. Whatever it takes to clear some space and some time. All right? So, take some time. Make the arrangements. Uh, let the laundry go. Nothing is a turn off to a guy like, yeah, I'll make love to you, but I need to take care of these clothes first. Really? Let all that stuff go. Put the kids to bed early. Uh, and then part of your planning is to, if possible, get a little rest. I mean, if you're a stay-at-home mom, when the kids go to sleep in the afternoon, don't use that time to straighten up your house. Get a nap, right? Take a nap. If you work during the day, then tell your husband, hey, if you obey the kids tonight and let me take a quick nap or a long bath, I'll make it worth your while. Get some rest, right? Because remember, energy or lack thereof is a big drainer for wives, right? So, and then one more principle for wives before sex. Give him something to anticipate. Give him something to tease him, suggest things, send him text, leave a note somewhere. Make him want to come home. Make him want to come home early. This is some things you can do before sex, okay? So those are principles for before sex. Let's, it's going to get dicey. Let's talk about during sex, all right? Principles during sex. Husbands, ensure 
privacy. There may be some exceptions to this, but most wise, for most wise, privacy is extremely important. When we moved into our first house, when we first moved to Augusta and we, we moved into our first house, it was the first house we'd had with kids where our bedrooms were separate. Our bedrooms had always been kind of side by side next to each other, but this house, the bedroom was downstairs, their bedrooms was upstairs, and of course I'm going cha-ching, right? This is going to be great! But I didn't factor with the idea that my kids had become teenagers. And where do teenagers hang out? In the living room. And where's the living room? Right outside my bedroom. Privacy was just awful. And, and so think about that if you're buying or building a house. Figure out how to do Consider sound screens. Put sound screens in the bedroom and outside the bedroom. If they're in the bedroom, it'll drown out their noise. If they're outside the bedroom, it'll drown out yours. So everybody wins, right? Do that. Uh, lock your bedroom door. Sorry, you're not going to believe this, but uh, I have these hearing aids. And when my phone rings, it rings in my ears. And it seems like all of you can hear it, but I'm the only one that can hear it. It really is unnerving. Excuse me, got a spam call. Okay, where was I at? I was talking about sex. I know I was talking about sex. Lock the doors. Yes, lock the doors. Lock the doors. I encourage you to consider a, a policy where your children are not allowed in your room without permission. I know that sounds harsh. I know that sounds really harsh. And some people say, oh, I'm not doing that. Well, it's up to you. But if they can come and go anytime, they will. Right? And, uh, and then some people go, well, I don't want to lock the door because what if my kids get in? Exactly. I was reading a book on sex, which I was prone to do, and uh, they were stories from couples. And I read this story about this one couple, and they're in bed one night. The kids are all put to bed. They're asleep. They're in bed. They're making love. They're just about ready to hit climax. And the wife turns to the side, and there's one of their children. And the kid is saying, can I ride too? Can I ride too? Guess who got locks on their door the next day, right? So, husbands, pay attention to privacy. Ensure privacy. Also, pay attention to the aesthetics. You know, pick your dirty underwear off the floor. Pay attention to that. Maybe light a candle, a little music, whatever works for your spouse. But pay attention to the aesthetics. I've often also heard this, and I think this is good for both of you. But I think it's, I heard somebody say, you should have a covering that you can throw across your bed that's just for sex. Because it's messy, right? And, and, you know, especially, I've heard this from my wife, not tonight, I just changed the sheets. <laughs> right? You know? So, so have a covering that just goes across the bed. And then when you're done, you pack it up, throw it in the laundry, you're good. Think about these kind of things, the aesthetics. Husbands, can't emphasize this enough. Go slow. I know this is difficult, husbands, but unless you're going for a quick snack, you should take your time, right? You should just take your time. Allow her to lead more. Move towards her need. Don't worry about the agenda. And, and that leads to this last one for guys during sex. Focus on the pleasure more than the project. We guys, we approach everything as a project, and it's like driving. I just want to get there. That's not good for sex. It might be good if you're traveling. It's not good for sex, right? So slow down. 
focus on the pleasure, yours and hers. Okay, that's principles for husbands during sex. Try to be close. Wives, be a little aggressive. I didn't say way aggressive, just a little aggressive. Being a little aggressive is difficult for most wives, especially Christian wives, because all these years they've been given the message, overtly or covertly, the good Christian girls shouldn't be sexually aggressive. That's wrong. We're talking about the context of marriage. In the context of marriage, the marriage bed is undefiled. It's not true in marriage. Uh, it's interesting. Years ago, I was teaching on a, a life group, asked me to come in and teach on sex. I said, I'll be glad to do that, but I want everybody in your life group to do a survey first. And one of the questions on the survey was this, and, and husbands and wives both got surveyed. What is one thing that would make sex better for you? And, you know, I'm expecting from the guys to get a little wild and crazy and positions and all that kind of... You know what their number one answer was? The number one answer is what would make sex better for me is knowing that my wife is enjoying it as much as I am. My heart went, oh because I didn't expect that from them. And it also told me that there's a bunch of guys out there that can't figure out whether their wives are enjoying it or not. That's why I say be a little aggressive. When you're passive, your husband can't tell if you're engaged in enjoying it or just tolerating them. And will they continue if you're just tolerating them? Yeah, they're guys. <laughs> but they can tell. And, and it hits them in the ego. It really does. So be a little aggressive. Next one. Be a little visual, a little visual. I know this is a problem because a lot of wives have these body image issues more than husbands do. They're a little self-conscious, and, uh, and, and they worry about that during sex. And that's why so many men have bought things from Victoria's Secrets that they never got to see on them, ever, because they're too self-conscious. I bought things from Victoria's Secrets. My wife said, yeah, I'll wear that. What does she do? Come out of the bathroom, reach around the corner, turn off the light. Right? Never got to see it. Right? Wives, why is it important that you be a little more visual? You didn't think I was going to ask any questions tonight, did you? <laughs> why? Guys, do you need to tell them? The visual experience is part of it for guys. It's not just, I'm not saying it's not for women. I'm not saying that. But especially for guys. And that's why, if you want to be a little... And, and I'm not talking about putting on something that strangles you, necessarily. But maybe just light a candle so there's a little light in the room, right? Be a little visual, a little more visual. Uh, because they are. And that's a way to their heart, so to speak. So to speak. Next one, be a little more verbal. Be a little more verbal. Tell your husband what you want and what you like. Because, again, he can't read your mind, and if you don't direct him, he's going to drive you crazy. And, and, and it's important. Another reason why, because he'll keep asking, he'll keep hinting, he'll keep doing the wrong things, just tell him. But another reason why you need to be more verbal is things change for you wives from experience to experience. I'm a dumb guy, so if something happens in the bedroom and it lights her up, the first thing that goes in my head is, I'm marking that spot because I'm going back there. Right? Because for me, what works one time works pretty much every time. But my wife is different, and you wives are different. And so the next time I'd go back, nothing. And, and she would not feel comfortable talking to me about it, so I'm hunting for the buried treasure. And you know, the ex was here, but it's not there anymore, so where's the buried? And I'm digging up holes in the back of the yard trying to find a buried treasure. 
and it's driving her crazy, right? So talk to us. Be a little more verbal. Uh, another one, be a little more adventuresome. Not necessarily talking about putting on the Zorro mask and bringing out the whip, but be a little more adventuresome. Sex can be like anything else in marriage. It can just get boring. It can fall into routine, you know, and that's one reason why sex lives do this. They don't have to. They just do. One of the complaints I often hear from husbands is that they wish their wife was willing to try a few more things, all right? And, and I explain it this way. In premarital, I explain it this way. When it comes to sex, there are three baskets. In basket number one is everything that you both go, oh, yeah, I'm in for that. Basket number two is the basket in which one of you go, I'm not really sure about that, but I'll give anything a go once. And basket number three is if you even think about that, I will break your arm. <laughs> All right? You need to know what's in basket number three. And wives, you need to try basket number two more often. Okay? Be a little more adventuresome, if you would. Uh, rules of engagement, though, both of you need to be willing Forcing your spouse to do something that they're not really willing to do will not get you anywhere. Matter of fact, it'll set you way back. Both spouses need to be willing. Now, I have people ask me, and man, I am almost out of time. I have people ask me all the time, what about toys? And I always tell them, are you talking about board games and Legos? And they look at me like we've come to the wrong person. Uh, I do not see any prohibition anywhere on that. In the context of marriage, here's what I would tell you, though. Bo again, both need to be willing. Both spouses need to be willing. Both spouses should participate or at least be aware of the other one's usage. And toys should never, ever become a regular and consistent way of bypassing your spouse. Okay? Anybody uncomfortable yet? All right. Last one for wives, and then we'll get down to... I don't know if we're going to get it or not. Uh, be a little more pleasure-focused and a little less proper focus. It's a hard one. I know it is. But when your husband has you in the bedroom, they're not expecting you to be proper. They want you to have pleasure. And, and it's a shift you've got to make, but make that. All right, really quickly, we're going in hyperdrive on this last. After sex, we've talked about before sex for principles for husbands and wives, during sex principles for husbands and wives, after sex principles, these are much shorter. Guys, you have one. Be as interested in her after sex as you were before and during. You know, it's really insulting to pursue, to pursue, to pursue, to enjoy sex, and then you're gone. Sorry, I'm out of here. Got to go to sleep. Got to go to work the next morning, and you roll over and go to sleep. It's like the video we watched last week. I know you want more, but I'm a little sleepy. You know, that kind of thing. So, don't just roll over and go to sleep. I know you're exhausted. I know that's part of it. Spend some time being close. Affirm her. Talk about what you loved about your time with her. Not just in the bedroom, but outside the bedroom also. Be as interested in her after sex as before. Wives, you got three. Affirm your husband. Let him know what you enjoyed with him. Again, inside and outside the bedroom, but inside the bedroom too. Do not take his fatigue personally. It is normal. You know, keep a squirt bottle by the bed. If he dozes off, squirt him, you know, just that. Uh, don't be frustrated when he feels closer to you after sex. It's a big complaint. My wife is, um, my husband is just 
He just wants to hold hands. He wants to do all of this stuff after sex, but he doesn't do that before sex. Remember the pyramid. You reach from top to bottom. That's the way they get communicated with. So don't take offense to that. Those are the principles. Here's the last thing, and then we're gone. The plan. The plan. Here's a plan that husbands and wives can use to improve their sexual relationship. Any one of them. Agree. Agree on what? There's a lot of things you won't agree on, but you can agree on this. Agree to work on this. Agree, we're going to work on our sexual relationship. That, that we're going, that, and this is key. This is key to everything else. If both of you agree, we're going to work on this. We're going to make this better. Great start. Educate yourselves. Again, teach one another. Learn from good books. Ask questions. Educate yourself. If there's past trauma in your life, you need to heal from it. You know, if there's anything from your past that's interfering with your sexual relationship, you, you need to find healing from that. Affirm one another habitually, both inside and outside the bedroom. Just affirm one another. Communicate openly about your sexual needs and your desires. And finally, plan. Plan your strategy, plan your frequencies, plan your times, plan the types of sex you're going to have. Plan. I tell people one of the best tools for your sexual relationship is not a toy, it's a calendar. And I encourage people to schedule sex, and a lot of people hate that. It seems like it takes all the spontaneity out of it, all the magic out of it. And I tell them, okay, you wait for spontaneity and magic and see how long it happens. Or you can plan it. If you've got kids and you've got busy work schedules and busy kid schedules, et cetera, et cetera, you need to plan it. So plan the day. My wife and I had, used to have this big calendar over our kitchen table, and at certain parts of the calendar, it had these big red S's. And my kids would say, what's that red S? And we'd make up something because they didn't need to know. Uh, but plan. And maybe one day is going to be the four-course meal day, and maybe one day is going to be the snack day. Plan. And here's what it does. I've heard wives tell me this. I love the calendar because now when we get in bed and he reaches over and puts his hand on me, I don't have to go, oh, does he want something? I didn't plan to do this tonight. Am I going to be in trouble? If I and all that mental chess that goes on. You know, guys, if she goes to bed early, it's not because she's wanting you to come. If it's not on the day, you know, it just takes all the guesswork out of it, right? And it takes out the guesswork if you're planning the types. I'm just, I'm a firm believer. If you can pull it off without it, great, more power to you. But I'm just telling you, that's a good tool for the planning piece of sex. Okay, we are out of time. We're two minutes over, which you're probably glad because you probably don't want to do questions and comments. But if you got any, let's take them really quick. <laughs> The self-control, the consistency thing? No, 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 that was another one. Oh, another one, sorry. This is the one where you said that, like, you said, you know, set the, set the tone early in the day. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I know one thing I didn't understand, understand early on is that if you've been giving it to them all day, if you're busy or what's going to happen right. tonight, you got to follow through. Absolutely. 
you didn't hear her, if you're, if you're communicating with them throughout the day that tonight's the night and, and you're looking forward to this, then do not pull the rug out from underneath them when you get home. Yeah, I've changed my mind. Ah, oh, that's awful. That's like taking, a, it's like buying your kid the favorite Christmas present they had and they're going, no, that's not for you. You know, it's the same thing. Good point. Good point. Keep your commitment. Anyone else? Right. Yeah, I, and I agree. To have these conversations more in youth, more with young adults before they get married, I think is really important. Uh, I've, I've done this with students before. When we were in between student ministries, they had me go up and teach on relationships, and my daughter said, Dad, would you teach my student group about sex? Which I didn't know whether it was a compliment or a setup. You know, I wasn't really sure. Uh, but yeah, it's like I said earlier, because we dance around this topic so much, then we're all guessing. And this is God's design. We as a church, we should be teaching this. We should be teaching it how it's supposed to be in the right way. I agree. Anyone else? Need to pull the book off the, off the shelf because it's oversimple. Need to pull it off the shelf? Oh, there absolutely is life over 60. I'm 63. And, uh, and if there wasn't life, I probably wouldn't be teaching this, I'm telling you. you know? uh, yeah, it's just good. Uh, it, it's good to get outside the norm. Anybody else? Exactly. Don't be ashamed of it. That's a great word. We're going to end on that word. All right, let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for this evening. I am grateful for this time together. I'm grateful for the freedom and the ability to talk about this, even in your house, because there's a lot of churches that would not allow this, and so I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for each of these couples and individuals in here. Some individuals in this room have had great and are continuing to have great sex lives, and we could really learn from them what it means to have a godly Christian sex life. There's others of us that are still trying to figure it out. And, uh, and there's some of us in this room that are fighting over it. So it's just important that we figure out what you want us to have in this. I'm grateful for this whole series, Father. Uh, it's just been a lot of information. I pray that we'll take at least pieces of what we've heard and plug it in and make a difference in our lives. Not just for us, but for you. So that other people can look at our Christian marriage and say, I want what they have. That's what we want, Father. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, next week is Thanksgiving week, so we won't be here. The Wednesday after that, I'm going to do something on a, on a way to have a better life. I'm going to pick up that series that we do occasionally, and we're going to talk about a way to have a better life. So hope to see you then. Thanks for being here. Oh, by the way, homework's on your own. You're going to have to figure that one out yourself. <laughs>